Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back everybody. It's good to have you back. It's Alu, and this is 24-8, 8 Days of Hustle in 7. I have a very special guest with me here today. His name is Mark Eastman. I've known him for a while, but I'll let Mark give an introduction to him for himself. Go ahead, Mark. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, my name is Mark Eastman. Um, I live here in Louisville, Kentucky. 26 years old, and uh, I'm a former retail employee. And now I currently invest in large real estate for a bank. And this is my story of how I got here. I brought Mark on because Mark does have a unique story. Uh, I've known him since uh, how old? Like like eighteen, Mark, or maybe? Oh, uh, I was seventeen. Yeah, that's right, man. That's a long time. Uh, but we we started off at Best Best Buy together. Um, this week's episode is actually titled Retail Hell. Uh, don't let that, you know, steer you the wrong direction. You'll see when we start talking about it why that is the title. Um, Mark, from the very first time I met Mark, is like there was just something about Mark that was just, that more than meets the eye. That, uh, you know, you knew he had a bigger purpose in life. Um, and the first question I want to ask Mark just to get it, things get kicked off is, how was your experience at Best Buy? Like, what was the takeaway, giveaway, all that good stuff in the first beginning of retail for you? So I actually have uh, sort of a twofold at Best Buy. And um, so I worked there twice. And I'll kind of just break it down between both experiences. My first experience when we first met, um, that was actually my first job. I don't know if you realize that. Oh, wow. Um, I think that was my first job. I was selling car audio. And I had really big eyes for the world, and I was really excited just to have a job. And I would do anything anyone asked me. And um, as you know, I was fearless and talked to every customer and and really enjoyed it. (laughs) But I hadn't really figured out life at that point yet. So I think I worked there the first round for around eight or nine months, and I had just started college, and I thought to myself, there's no way I could do this job in college at the same time, which turned out to be really incorrect. <laughs> and uh, so I spent a few months away and, uh, you know, obviously I didn't burn any bridges, which is really important. And uh, I kept in touch with everybody that I worked with. And I reached out to a couple people about coming back in a different capacity, not necessarily, um, you know, car audio. Right. And uh, just just because I wanted to do something different, maybe something more sophisticated. And somebody offered the opportunity to come back and Best Buy Mobile selling cell phones. And um, just as a natural tech lover, I was like, oh, absolutely. So I decided to come back and interview. And um, I ended up interviewing with some pretty tough folks who were much more sophisticated. And uh, I knew that it was going to be a really good opportunity. So, um, Coming back, I came back in that capacity, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot, a little bit more complicated uh, sort of business operations, but um, it was a really good learning experience. I think you had like the perfect personality for Best Buy Mobile too, because you had you had to talk to more people like at a you know frequent weight than you had to in your car audio. Um, I knew when I worked with you, I was like, oh man, this dude has so much positive energy. Like he makes me want to work as hard as him. And that being said, I was already a hard worker, so that's like, wow, okay. Um, but I do agree with you, I, like, because I started off as an occasional seasonal worker uh, between Best Buy Mobile and computers, and this is after I left uh, Sprint. Uh, I just decided just to come back and work retail just because. Just um, 
but it was so much I learned from Best Buy, uh, from some of the people that I've worked with, and you know most of them. Um, but I just had questions because I've done sales before, so it's more to me than a sales job. Um, but I, I feel like that's with most jobs, you know, you take away from what you want to learn from it. Um, I mean, you can clock in every day and do the same thing every day, and then that, that kind of becomes mundane, and then you get bored and you complain. Um, but Best Buy is like a big box uh, retail store, and as you know, there are good good employees, bad employees. Um, so when, once we start getting this discussion going, I kind of want to go through the flow because now we worked at Best Buy together. You just reminded me before this started that we worked at AT&T together, which is so funny. Um, I just have a bad memory, I guess. Um, but these are the type of things that I really want to talk about because I've seen in different stages and, like you said, different capacities, uh, employees and coworkers. Cause I was a manager at Sprint for a little while. Then I worked at uh, Best Buy for a while. Now I'm at AT&T. And I think the biggest thing that I've seen is that it's been rare that I, whether you're a manager or just an employee, a solid, good worker, is which it shouldn't be that way. Um, but every every phase I've seen. Um, but what's your what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, I do agree with you, Aaron, that every worker is completely different. But yeah. I think. Um, I think it's up to the manager to decide how he's going to motivate individually. Um, and really, that kind of starts at the hiring process, you know, really getting to know some of these people that want to work for you and building a good relationship. But that sort of changes as, you know, managers come and go, employees come and go and transfer. You kind of get like an amalgam of uh, different people. So that can be, can be kind of hard to do. Um, I don't know if that answered what I mean, your question it, it was. Does. I, I like that because you, you kind of gave me another path to go. So let's start off with the manager position first. Then we go to the employee one after. I like what you said. It comes down to the manager. And I, I've worked with a lot of managers, and I promise you, with every job that I've had, I, they're already in my head. There's only been a handful of managers that I can actually say that have been great managers. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to put anybody on blast, but they're already the names are in my head. <laughs> And those managers, the qualities that they had and the skill they had, they were leaders, right? So they not only led you by action, they also taught you a lot. They didn't leave you hanging. So if they saw that you were kind of dazed, confused, or lost, they had that desire to help you. It was more than just helping you in the retail manner. They wanted to help you in life. They wanted to show you everything you needed to learn to be the best at that job. There are a lot of managers that I know now, even over the years, that just managed, right? They just, they took it too much to heart. They just managed. Uh, and that's where they come with that negative term, which I hate that term, micromanage. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in it. If, you, if you've been in a sales job before, you know the higher-ups, it's like a trickle-down effect. You know, they put the pressure on you, so that's where micromanaging comes from, but if a manager can't relay that message in a positive manner and, you know, where they can help and build that employee. I think that's where the gap is. And I've seen a lot of managers really slack at that and just not be able to, to do that. And they want to say that, you know, lazy employees, lazy employees want to say they're being micromanaged. It's like a, it's like a tennis, tennis match back and forth. But it's kind of taking ownership um, because even me being a... Uh, 
a non-manager position right now. I take ownership just to help everybody around me. Because um, it, it, there's a lot of pressure. Because uh, I have a sales job, not all retail have that same pressure of sales. But I just want a manager that kind of understands where the employee is going from. But that is more than understanding. It's teaching them how to succeed. Um, so let's start with that. I'll just I'll Give me your thoughts sure. about well, good and bad managers. If, you, if we talk about Best Buy specifically yeah. and that experience and, and just a large, you know, retailer, just any large retailer in general, the employees are held accountable to a number, right? right? right. So that, that needs to be communicated to the employee pretty much on day one. And there was a lot of managers that I, I didn't care for um, because they only cared about that number, which... Right. Right. You know, respectfully, they should, but the really good ones, now that I think about them, they did a really good job of explaining how to get to those numbers and different behaviors and habits and in really teaching repetition. Um, so although that the job, you know, wasn't a career level job and I was really young, that was explained to me by some really great people um, at a young age and just this, that alone that put me in the camp of those people. And I thought in my head, okay, well, if they leave this place, I'm leaving this place. Cause I want to follow them. Right. And, um, you know, and it also is just, uh, sort of a equal respect thing as well. You know, when they're showing you how to get to these numbers and, you know, all these different behaviors that you really should be presenting on a day to day basis, you know, and it's sort of a positive interaction when you start to make mistakes and they identify those, you, you start to respect those mistakes. Yeah. So, it's just a positive coaching environment. Um, and I think that if you can build that relationship from the very beginning, you're going to have a lot of people who can really trust you. I think you said something that I just loved. Um, they taught you behaviors, but keyword taught. You know, they didn't push behaviors on you or tell you what the behaviors were. And they didn't just, sh- it wasn't just about numbers to them. And and that kind of like connects to what I said. They just, it's, it wasn't just about the retail setting. They just, they wanted to help you kind of understand the overall thing. Like how you said when you first came to Best Buy, you were young. You didn't really know what you wanted to do. These people, those great managers, teach you skills and behaviors that will help you not just in your current job, in life. And I feel like that's what a lot of managers should have. All managers should have. They should be able to have that connection with their employees. Now, you don't have managers should not have to babysit. Managers not have to do any of that, but what they should be able to do because they took upon this title, took upon this position, is to help people get to that. You can't expect numbers or success if you're not helping them with these behaviors, and it is a culture, and I, and I do like that what you said about that. Um, now we can <laughs> go to the other side, which is the employee. Now, being that I've been a manager before, uh, two different uh, capacities, one in a retail setting, one in a non-retail setting. Um, it does come down to people, um, but I've also, I've, most of my time I've been an employee, so I've been my co-workers. It's been a lot of chatter, a lot of talk, you know, uh, my manager, micromanaging me, like they're not doing their job. What is your take on the good and the bad employee? Um, I really think it comes down to just being honest with yourself. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, if you're in a big box retail setting, so if we're still really talking about Best Buy, I mean, it, it, are you engaging the amount of customers you should be engaging? Are you demonstrating the behaviors that you learned? Did you even pay attention to the training? Um, 
And I think it all comes down to you're never better than the job that you have. Yes. Um, and you really should be working for the job that you don't have, that you want. And, um, you know, it's a funny story that's sort of a failure. Uh, I probably was one of the leading salespeople at the time. And one of my managers, I'm not going to name names, one of my managers said, I want you to be our sales lead. <laughs> and uh, I said, great. What does that mean? He goes, well, you know, you're going to coach your fellow employees and, you know, you're going to remind them of certain things. And, you're, you know, since you follow sort of the culture that we want, we just want you to be like the, the lead demonstrator and uh, also to continue to be the top salesperson. But it was really just to teach my skills to my fellow employees. Um, and I thought I had this in the bag. Right. All the way up to the very last interview, which was with the store manager, who I didn't necessarily have the best relationship with, um, you know, he was like, well, why do you want this position? And I was like, oh, you know, I really want to teach the, you know, my skills and show people how I do this and all that stuff. And he was like, um, honestly, you know, we would really like you just to keep doing what you're doing and just slap the name on it. And at that point, at that point I was like, okay, well, I feel like he just told me I can't have this position that's been offered to me in 10 different ways. Right. Um, and so that, that actually ended up not working out. I ended up not becoming a lead, and that was a huge blunder. Um, and I was really embarrassed and thought, ooh, I don't know if I want to show my face around here ever again. <laughs> but um, it was also you know, sort of humbling in a way. And around that time, there was a camp of people that decided to go to AT&T um, for a really good opportunity. And uh, primarily because of money and um, you know, just career growth opportunities. And being one of the youngest people, I tried to hitch my wagon up to that and see if I could make the, the same kind of moves. So that's actually what I ended up doing. I, yeah, I think uh, you said it, it does come down to the person. Um, I like what you said. There's two things. When you say you're only as good as a job that you have, but you should always be working for the job that you want. And I think that's what a lot of people like lose grasp on, their expectations versus their standards. Like They, they expect so much. But where's their standards at? Like, are you are you are you meeting those expectations? Where are you meeting your standards of like all these expectations that you have, like of other people and everything else? Um, but also that you know that biweekly paycheck people just wait for and live for, but they lose sight on their purpose in life and when what's bigger. And like how you said, people left this camp to go to that camp for money purposes for other reasons. But it does come down to the person, and, and trust me, I have worked with an amazingly large amount of lazy coworkers. but everybody's different. I've worked with some amazing people, and you said something earlier, because you don't always have to, have to be the top salesperson. That doesn't show me your value as, as an employee. Your work ethic does. Like I have led many different businesses and sales everywhere I've worked, but I, I work hard at everything that I try to do. It doesn't just mean sales to me. I try to be a good coworker, try to be a good employee, whatever the case may be. And I've seen a lot of people that would like to make excuses. And so you said something that I love. It's about being honest with yourself. <laughs> people don't like to do that. They like being honest with everybody else but themselves. Um, so it comes down to what you value, what your work ethic is, and what, what you want to do in life. And I, a lot of employees like to complain about the culture of the store, the managers. Of, but what are you doing? To better that, like well, I think uh, I think you're covering a really interesting point, yeah. um, especially about the honesty thing. And I think a lot of the 
you know, the complaints of like the micromanaging, et cetera, et cetera. That's all like low hanging fruit. That's right. what everybody wants to grab onto. But right, right. I think for some of these people that, um, and, and still, I, I'm not as successful as I want to be. I'm not the number one uh, underwriter in my in my position. Um, yeah, and there's people you know who are doing better than me. But what I'm trying to say is, uh, I think some of these people have unrealistic expectations. Right. And um, correct, correct, correct. Yeah. And, and even if even some of the people that have realistic expectations, let's say, oh, I want to be you know two levels above where I am right now within five years. They don't really understand exactly the mechanics of getting yourself to that point and sort of the personal development that you have to go through. Um, and I know this is a lot of surface level and not a whole lot of specifics, but what I mean is really trying to think outside of your wheelhouse right. and and push your knowledge to areas that you do not understand and just getting exposure. So there's a little bit of a risk there that you're putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, and, and we're even talking about people that made $10 an hour. Right. And these people, you know, the people that are really willing to put their time in outside of work, um, outside of regular work hours to learn some of these skills and really develop themselves. I think those are the people that have the tools in the toolbox to get to these levels that we're talking about and sort of circumvent this whole, you know, uh, retail ladder that right. we're right. kind of navigating. I like I like that because uh, it, it is like I even said it earlier when you know I said the manager has to understand the employee, but the employee also has to understand where the manager is coming from and understand that role. But you said it like it, think outside your wheelhouse, which I trust me I get it's a lot harder to do, and I want people to really like hear me when I say I don't base my entire value to the company based off just of sales. Like, I try to be the best person that I can be while I'm at work. There's a culture you bring. And like you said, when I leave work, I, I may have left AT&T, but there's more work to be done for my own personal life that I want knowledge learning. Like, these podcasts that we're doing, there's just so much more that I have to do when I clock out of AT&T. But you have to be willing to want that. So, I like, I like I love what you said that, you know, you don't have to be a sales leader. You don't. That's, that's, that, that's not what the message me and Mark are saying. It's, it's, you know, that value to have, the standards you have. You have to have that standard for your own life. And I love that you said that, like, people get lost in their expectations, bro. I think that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and I, and I think that, um, you know, okay, so the most common way to do that is through school, right? right so there's right. a lot of people out, like, I have, a, I have an MBA, which not everybody has, and there's a lot of people that are much smarter than me that uh, don't have MBAs. But, you know, what that did for me was at least facilitate a method of trying to learn more. Um, and, and luckily, you know, I was working at uh, Best Buy and then AT&T during college years. So I was always sort of immersed into that, you know, asking more questions, sort of critical thinking type of mindset. Um, but I think, I think that may be where some of the disconnect is for some people that don't necessarily have some of the opportunities to go to college and that sort of thing. But I, I think if, even if the person has the ability to get, you know, go to YouTube University, as I call it, um, or, you know, reading forums and or calling people and just asking, asking questions, really. I mean, asking anybody you, anything. Man, you um, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think you, you can sort of build that breadth of knowledge. And then if you're just intellectually curious, you can put yourself into a different level 
um, and sort of sort of speak it into existence. And I think that um, that's just a personality trait that is it's it's more of a learned trait than it is a taught trait. It's hard to really teach that. It's more of a thing that you have to learn on your own. But well, you were I like the, I like where you were going. You know, with the school thing, it's it's like people have to have structure. And I like how you when you said it doesn't have to be school. I do agree with that. It doesn't have to be school. You have to have some type of structure, some type right. of want to continue to build yourself. Uh, that's true. It is. It is a mindset. It is a lifestyle. Uh, it's it's not temporary. It sticks with you once you have that. And but what I do appreciate though from the retail setting is much. <laughs> craziness that we deal with and you know the customers and the, and the nonsense is we pretty much got paid for going to school in a sense like we learned from that and we were talking about this off the podcast like you you learn so much from what you ask from from your manager uh the profit and loss the profit margins the year over year all these things that you would never learn just not having that job um, but like you said that's a mindset that's a choice that's that structure that you built uh, that you built upon. Um, but one thing I do want to jump to, because I want people to see, you know, what retail is, but what also can come out of it. What how, what was your jump? Because you already told me what you do now. How did you transition from, from retail to what you're currently doing? So, uh, that's a good question. It's a loaded question, so I'm just going to kind of start <laughs> from the top. Um, you know... I, I went through sort of an identity crisis, um, a personal one, because I, you know, I would look at my wife who was becoming a nurse at the time, and uh, I was like, wow, you know, you're really doing some great things. And, you know, my part-time cell phone sales job isn't really doing it for me from a fulfillment perspective. You know, I didn't feel like I was getting uh, everything I wanted out of life. And, you know, that a lot of it had to do with uh, the title the money, the importance, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of strategy to go over anymore. You know, after you kind of learn the job, it's more about repetition. Um, it was a great job though. I love the job. Um, so I went through sort of that, that mindset and, uh, you know, for a while and, um, I tried to move up through the company. I made some efforts to, get a different position, um, outside of the retail world, uh, within the same company, um, because there was a large corporate presence here in Louisville at AT&T. And, um, you know, I sent some emails and made some phone calls and, and really started asking some questions about, you know, how I can sort of further my career. But, um, at, at least in my experience, there was a little bit of bottlenecking and I felt like I was pushed into a corner of, Hey, you're a retail salesperson and Hey, look, you're good at your job. Why would you do anything different? We need you to keep doing what you're doing. You're doing so good for us on the ground floor. Um, and I thought, you know, no, I want to work in, you know, the skyscraper. I want to be a little bit more important here. So what can I do? Well, turns out there was no opportunities for me. And honestly, I was fed up and I was, I was surrounding myself with some people that, um, had some recent success and I, I went to them and I said, Hey, what, what should I do? They said, well, honestly, you need to start networking. Well, you know, the only people I've ever networked with are people that have bought things for me. So, and then that's sort of a different type of relationship, a customer relationship. So I decided to go to a networking event for investors and attorneys and small startup businesses. 
And I went in there looking completely out of place as a part-time cell phone salesperson. And the first person who asked me what I was doing there, I said, well, I'm here to find an internship. And she said, um, okay, well, actually, I know somebody that needs an intern. I said, really? And she said, yeah, I'm going to give you his number. So we started texting, and uh, I think this was on a Monday. So by Thursday, I had started interviewing for the position, and uh, they, they didn't understand exactly why I wanted to work there. But I, you know, I basically pleaded that I wanted this job because I wanted to learn from them. Um, and the person who was interviewing me was a Harvard business graduate. He has started one of the largest online casinos in the world. Um, massively brilliant man. And I, I was like, this is the opportunity that I need to bridge the gap from retail sales to anything else I've ever wanted to do. And so I took this massive risk. And um, so at the time, I was working at AT&T Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with Tuesdays and Thursdays off. So I told this gentleman that I could work for him Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I worked seven days a week for about six months straight, um, just soaking up everything that I could soak up. And and during that time, you know, I was preparing myself to make a transition, to make a, a jump. And believe it or not, Aaron, I actually took a pay cut at this point. Wow. But what I was doing was I was, you know, obviously saving up and I was trying to make a case for myself on Tuesday and Thursday uh, to this to this company that I was working for. Um, and mind you, this is a really this is a small startup uh, financial company. So, you know, I'm just trying to prove myself on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I sort of put the pressure on them. I was like, you know, I want to have more involvement here. I want to do more for you. Um, I have a lot to offer. You know, is there are there any opportunities here for me? And um, luckily, they wanted to pick me up. So. I uh, I had a really good opportunity to leave AT and T at that time, um, and without burning bridges, you know, I I, I left on uh, a good word and everything. But um, you know, what it took was that massive risk, and what I gained from that, if if anyone's curious, is I was able to sort of dig down into some raw skills that is required to work for a startup company. Um, it's incredibly hard to work for a startup. And that not to toot my own horn or anything, but when you're working for a company of, you know, five people, you're responsible for everything. You're responsible to, for taking out the trash all the way to making investment decisions, to raising money, to, um, you know, covering losses. Um, I, I mean, everything. So it really gave me a good opportunity to learn, you know, a wide net of skills um, to really take me on anywhere. Um, so I, I did that for about a year and a half. It was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Um, I had a really tough boss who, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Whiplash, that's exactly <laughs> what the relationship was. Great movie, man. Um, great movie. It great was a great movie. movie. And it gives me PTSD to some point because that was the relationship. Um, it, it was really, really tough work environment, but um, that's just how it had to be. But luckily, while I was working there, um, and, and just to be completely transparent, um, I applied for 21 jobs after getting some of this experience and I got zero callbacks, um, which was, you know, obviously humbling and, uh, kind of put me in my place. But point being is, you know, I just kept my head down. I kept doing the work. Um, you know, I, I promised my wife for better days <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I said, you know, good things are coming. I promise. 
And out of the blue one day, um, I got a call from the bank I work for now, and they said, we think you applied for this position. And I and I was like, what's the position? What is the job? Like, I, I had no idea what, what they were offering me. Um, and I went in and interviewed for it, and just somehow the skills that I had developed over the last few years working for this startup gave me everything I needed to work for the company I work for now. And since then, I've been promoted, uh, I guess you could say twice, um, uh, one out of a, one position, and then I've been promoted within my position uh, once, and um, trying to change that and keep, keep moving up. And um, I really, really love what I do and have a huge passion for real estate. And um, during that time, I got a master's degree as well and just continue to develop personally. But sort of back to the main theme of that whole thing was I said, screw this. I'm going to take a freaking risk. Yeah. I'm going to speak this into existence, yeah. which I did. I literally told people I am going to work in finance, yeah. whatever that means to you. Okay. And that was a pretty cocky statement for somebody that almost fell out of college had absolutely no exposure to finance in his childhood or <laughs> high school or college. But what it took was just pulling all-nighters, looking uh, – you know, this is actually something that I don't share very often, but I'll, I'll save it for your podcast, Aaron. <laughs> um, so I never got accepted to business school in my undergrad, yeah. which was humbling because I wasted my time, you know, on things that didn't matter. Um which I'm glad I did then, and I don't obviously do that now. But um, so I went to the university. And I said I really want to be in business school. You know, my GPA is three points, you know, point three points away from being able to be in the business school. And they said no. And I said okay. So I ended up taking every single elective that they offered in the business school that you didn't have to be accepted in the business school to do. So I graduated with like. 30 extra credit hours because <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to still learn this because I know it's going to pay off. Right. And, um, and it did four years later, but point being is, you know, I just spoke it into existence and, uh, put the work in. So that's, and I'm, that I'm so happy for you. That was guys. First of all, me and Mark have not seen each other in six years, but <laughs> no love, no love was lost, but this is the type of kid he was at age 17. That this is the point I'm making whether and this this is kind of like the full circle of what I really wanted to be the tone was no matter if you're you know that manager in retail or that employee it does come down to being honest with yourself and who you are and your work ethic and what you put in and you you have to understand both sides to do that but you also kind of have to have that mindset that no matter what happens, make it a positive outcome. Because I know you went through some negative things in, in both AT&T and Best Buy that kind of hindered your path or slowed it down or roadblocks up. But that's the, that's the thing, uh, you know, about people like you. Um, and I will tell you right now, everybody that's ever worked with me, especially manager-wise, they know I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm very outspoken. But the thing about it is I try to make everything better for the culture and have a, a positive outcome. I will say what I want to say, but I know what my job is, and I know I, what needs to be done. Um, but my expectation meets my standards, but my standards exceed everything. Cause I, I, I keep myself to such a high standard 
because that's that's who I am. I always want to learn. I, I love what you said earlier. Like when I leave work, I, literally, I've read nine books since I've been in quarantine, which is insane. But it's just I've have I have more time now. Uh, I study so much. Uh, but that's the type of person you are. Your story needs to be heard, and that was such an amazing story. Um, but I want people to see that work in retail, whether that you may grow within the retail corporate ladder or you're you you may have a another path and that's okay but what you can't let happen is the retail hell to bury you and you know that's that's what we want to speak to today because that's just a mindset in your head micromanaging just a mindset in your head you just heard mark his boss at the startup company was breathing down his neck but guess where he is now because he didn't let that stop him they may have the way they handle things, but you are your own person still, manager and employee. And you should be the, the most positive person you can be, helping people in their path. Helping other people is probably one of my favorite things in the entire world. It's, I love learning, but helping others get to where they want to go is such a beautiful thing. Um, but not everybody has that. So that's what I, I brought you on for today because I knew your story. I knew how far you've come and I know that you've been in the, the, the battle trenches with me in, in a retail setting. I mean, we can have an entire separate podcast about stories, about customers, and about craziness. Um, but that's, that's all part of the job. Um, a part of the job is, you know, getting yelled at sometimes because we wear the company symbol on our, on our, our uh, work attire. A part of the job is having to deal with the pressures of uh, sales, uh, the pressures of being managed. Like, yes, you can hope for a positive and understanding manager, but you're not always going to get that. But you can't blame your failures on their practices. And I want you guys to hear that. Like, and it's vice versa. A manager can't blame their their failures on somebody else's behaviors. Like, if you want that to change, you have to help them change that. Um, and I think that's what the baseline of this is. But I mean, I'll go ahead and let you speak to that too, because I just went on a ramp, like yeah. a ramp right there. Well, well, there's there's some interesting aspects to to that, and um, I think what people who are listening might really want to be looking for is, you know, they they hear the words, they they see people say, oh, you know, I'm motivating you. This is this is me motivating you. Like, you know, you need to get off your butt and you know put the work in, and that, that's really how it's done. But I think for some people. What they need to do is take a step back and look at exactly what that means. Right. So, right. you know, one of the things that I looked at when I was getting my MBA was um, sort of the factors of motivation. Um, and, and I think I think a lot of people, you know, because of their situation are sort of indirectly motivated or they have emotional motivators. Um, so I think I think like one of those things could be, um, you know, my wife is pregnant. Um, I'm motivated to do this job right. because my wife is pregnant or, um, you know, I, uh, my parents uh, support me and, and I need to help them and, or just any emotional factor about your current situation, I think, uh, I think motivates people, but even greater than that, I think economic pressure, um, it is really what. And when I say motivates people, I don't mean in a positive way. I just mean motivates them to do the job. Right. I don't mean like a positive, oh, I'm leading people and that sort of thing. I just mean keep the gears turning. Um, and I think mostly people have economic pressure. Um, right. And I think this is like, this is the breadth of really 
what what it is. It's it's obligation. And what's interesting is one of my favorite managers ever. Um, he started asking me a bunch of questions, and he said, um, "You know, do you have any kids?" Uh, I mean, at the time, I was like 20, 20 years old. I'm, no, I don't have any kids. Um, he's like, uh, "Do you have any you know student debt?" And thankfully, I didn't have very much at the time. I was like, oh, no, "Not a whole lot of student debt." He's like, uh, "Do you have a car payment?" Yeah, you know, not really. I mean, I got a small one, but it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I'm not a big car guy. Um, he was looking to see what kind of obligations that I had right. because he was wanting to remind me of these pressures. Like he was like, right. "Well, if you don't have any of these things, how in the world are you motivated to do this job?" Right? Because he he liked to hire people that had a lot of obligations because he's like, "I know these people are going to sell. Right. They're going to ask the questions because this commission means everything to them." Man. So he kind of had a we had an interesting relationship because he's like, "I really can't figure out why you're motivated or how you're motivated because." You just come here and have a great time. Like this is a hobby for you, right? And the and the thing is, you know, for me, I identified with more of an intrinsic motivation, right? Um, which was just more like, this is a culture I want to be a part of. These right. are the people I want to work with. I'm motivated just being a part of this team, enjoying the technology and racking up the money right. um, in commissions. And that, that that was my motivation. It had nothing to do with obligation, but. I think when people actually, you know, write down and sort of separate what these pressures are right. and why they do certain things, it might help them sort of roadmap their path, you know, either in their career or out of their career into something different. I completely agree. Uh, I, yeah, because I actually, yeah. what you said, I did in one of my earlier podcasts, I said, write everything down. And you see it. Uh, and you, thank you for sharing the thing you've never shared with before. Uh, now you made me want to share something, uh, which is true because you, it's so true. Any, any sales manager love those people who have those financial obligations or those things they got to pay for because those people are going to kill it on the, kill it on the sales floor. Absolutely kill it. I mean, of course we all like having money in our account. I do enjoy that. I do live by myself. So I have to pay bills. I have to pay a lot of things. Uh, it's not really that money that drives me. I like learning everything, but there did what was a point in time before I came to AT and T that I was working for uh, like an engineering type of company dealing with dry ice, and it was just at that time I was very confused of what I wanted to do in life, and I gave up a great opportunity. It was a great company in Louisville, an absolutely amazing company, uh, a job that my father helped me get, and. You know, coming to now, being a 32-year-old man, I messed that up, bro. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I messed it up because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But what you said, I had to take a step back. And along that time, when I was taking a step back, a good friend, a mutual friend of ours told me to come to AT&T. And I was like, all right, I guess I will. Uh, but I had to ask myself, what do I want in life? Because I just messed up this, this career-type job. Um, although I had a very hard work ethic, that never stopped. I just didn't have any direction to point that at. Um, so now I'm at AT&T and I'm, I'm doing very well at my job, but there's just more to it. I'm doing so much outside of those walls to get where I want to go. And I like sure. what you said. It's not always, like what you, I love what you said, it's not always going to be financial obligations. It's not always going to be something that you can see that's going to drive you, but you do have to have that type of drive to get it going. Uh, yeah, we all, we've seen all the YouTube videos of get up and get going, rise and grind. It's easier said than done. I will say that. It is. Let me right. tell you, I'm going to tell you guys right now, and I know Mark will agree with this. This life is not easy to be this driven. I'm going to tell you, there. I get up every morning at 4 a.m. 
And I make no excuse because I know the standard I hold myself to. It's not an easy life. So I get it. The other side of this is, is an easier life to live. So if you want to live that life, you know, more power to you. But once you come on the other side, trust me, you got to keep pushing. Because it gets harder and harder every day. Just because Mark is where he is right now, trust me, his plate got fuller and fuller. His work is more work to be done. It never stops, but you learn so much more and you appreciate that. You appreciate those moments that challenge you. Everything that you feel like you can't get out of, then you find a way out. Those 21 jobs he applied for, everybody said no, but he didn't stop. And then that little slither of light gave him an opportunity and he took it. But he never stopped working hard. And I think that's what it comes down to to each individual. Is You, know, you got to find that little slither of light that Mark got. And you got to just roll with it. Um, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead. Don't, don't look your well, stuff. well, I think um, I, I think when people kind of hear that, uh, you know, what like the motivation is. One thing that that worked for me personally that you know I would tell anybody, especially young people, um, is the the rise and grind mentality. It, it can look really different than what that sounds like. Right. So for me the way that I was able to do it was literally by asking questions to everybody. Right. Every person that I met, I asked what they did. I asked how they did it, how they got there. I asked, um, you know, what their unique skills were and, you know, just built relationships that way. And funny enough. Um, so one of my customers at Best Buy, you know, doing my question asking at people that I was really interested in, um, you know, he told me that he worked in this one area of the bank, and I thought, wow, I've never even heard of that. I didn't even know people did that. Um, and it's actually the same exact department that I work in because people will tell me stories about this guy. He doesn't work there anymore, but they'll be like, oh, you don't know him. You know, this is so-and-so. And I'm like, no, I do know them. They're my customer at Best Buy. And that's they're like, what? That's, cool. <laughs> that's, that's, cool. that's cool. What does that even mean? That's cool. But the thing is, I think that uh, some people that, you know, don't necessarily have the, you know, Navy SEAL uh, mentality of kind of rising and grinding and really putting in the quote unquote work. I think that one way to formulate your own motivation is to ask the questions, build a roadmap, you know, look at some calculated risks that you can take within your job or outside of your job, um, and, and really network through relationships. I mean, that's really the only way that you're going to be able to elevate yourself beyond exactly what you're doing and that could be through volunteering that can be through friendship that can be through internships um forums i mean anything and the thing is what people will learn is that more people are willing to talk to you than you think exactly now i'm gonna i'm gonna say this you know and wrapping it up and I'll, I'll let you give your final thoughts and this is literally speaking to speaking to what you just said is if you're the fastest person and your group of friends, and you continue to race those same people, you're only slowing down because you're always going to be the fastest. You have to find people who are faster than you to challenge yourself and to grow. And I think that's a mindset you have to have in life. If you're the smartest person, the strongest person, the most talented person, you're, you're, you're staying in this circle because it's a comfort zone. And I, trust me, I get it. I mean, you, everybody likes being comfortable. But you have to challenge yourself to truly find out who, who you are and to grow and to build upon that. And I like what you said. I'm the same type of person. Oh, man, I, I think I annoy people of how many questions or discussions I like having about certain things because I bug people every day. I just, I just like knowing things. 
Um, but if you don't ask those questions, you're not going to find any answers in life. Um, and that's what I want people to take away from today. It does come down to your mentality, comes down to your lifestyle. And, you know, it, and you just got to have that drive. And you, you, It's not going to be easy to find that drive. You, like you said, you had to dig deep. I had to dig deep. It took, it took experiences. I, say, I hate saying it took time. You know, time is the most valuable thing we have. It took situations and experiences for me to really find those answers that I was looking for, to find out who I truly was and what I wanted to do. Um, and ever since then, it's just, I know the path that I have now. Um, but I'll go ahead and let you give your final thoughts on retail hell and everything that we've talked about. <laughs> well, Aaron, I think that uh, we've covered it pretty well. Um, you know, I, I think let's say you're a young person, let's say you're any person and you have a job in retail and you're thinking, how can I get out of this or how can I grow within, you know, I'm stagnant. What can I do? Um, well, I think you can educate yourself because there's a lot of areas of retail that you can put on a resume that I think people find interesting, um, especially in big box settings. You know, I think you can talk about, uh, supply chain and how you know the product moves through the uh, through the company and how you assist with that. Obviously, the sales aspect um, and and how detailed that can get. Any type of management opportunities, reporting tools, and just running reports and understanding what these reports mean is is such a big data point. And, and most companies use similar types of reporting. So if you can understand one at the current company you're at, you know that will translate on you know throughout. Um, so I think sort of doing those things is a great way to put tools in your toolbox. You know, it's going to take, um, it's going to take some, some luck, but the thing is the harder you work, the luckier you are. So, um, if you're able to sort of build up those tools and try to move forward, you'll, you'll find yourself becoming lucky. Um, certainly. So I think, um, if you feel stagnant because of the people you're surrounded by, you know, maybe the risk that you take is changing locations and finding a new management group to work with, finding a mentor within or finding somebody who will champion the change that you're looking for. Um, and so, so the risks that we, you know, we talk about, like I took a huge risk, which, you know, in hindsight may have been stupid, but your risk can be much more calculated and be realistic and say, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to keep all the same protections that my company has given me, like my pay and consistency for, you know, supporting my family, but I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to disrupt some of these relationships that I have and, and create change. Absolutely. I want to leave everybody with a, one of my favorite sayings is the person who does more than what they're paid for will always get paid more for what they do. Um, and Mark is an amazing example from beginning to end. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. It was truly an honor. You guys know me. I'm Elu, and you guys know my mantra is sage, sacrifice, achieve, grow, exceed, and this is 24-8, 8 Days of Hustle in 7.